0: and our maker and our creator. And so we thank you, Father, that you are the head of all things and you have given us your son and we uh, thank you for that. It's the greatest gift ever. So we bless you and we praise you. We give you this time to help us to understand what it is you want us to know today. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. So this uh, issue is about the um, bombing Church bombings in Indonesia. And there's a woman on here, even though she's scarred physically, she's got a smile on her face. Amen. And so, um, it's just always good to understand what our brothers and sisters in Christ are enduring uh, for their faith and always keep them in prayer, uh, as I know you do. So we'll start here. It says the day of the bombings. More than a year after suicide bombers killed 15 people at three Indonesian churches, the survivors continue to heal from their injuries and question why they were attacked even as they hold fast to their faith in Christ. Before sunrise on May thirteenth, 2018, Wendy Hudojo hurried to get herself, her two sons, and her niece dressed and ready for the second service at St. Mary Immaculate Catholic Church in Surabaya, East Java, Indonesia. She and the children then made their way through the busy streets of the second largest city in Indonesia to gather for worship as they did every Sunday. It was a typical morning, she recalled. We went to church every Sunday, but my husband wasn't able to come with us this time because he was sick. As they walked through the church gate, her sons, 8-year-old Nathan, 11-year-old Evan, talked excitedly with their 11-year-old cousin, Evelyn, about the games they would play after church. After passing the church security guard on the left, Wendy heard a motorcycle zip past them on the right. She turned to see two young men on the bike heading straight for the church building, and she braced for the worst. The two young men, ages 16 and 18, detonated their explosives about 12 feet away from Wendy and the children, immediately killing a woman, a child, and a security guard. I didn't hear the sound of an explosion, Wendy said. It was like my ears weren't there, and then slowly I could hear every low, a very low sound. I saw this bright light, and there was a force that pushed me down on the ground. In my heart, I prayed, God, help me find my kids. Winnie held her bloody hands in the air to make sure they were still there. Then, amid the screams, smoke, and chaos, she began searching for her younger son, Nathan. She could hear his cries of agony, but couldn't see him. I thought, if he can cry, that means he will be okay, she recalled. At that moment, I didn't hear any other sound. I just felt the crying of my son running toward his cries when he found Nathan lying on the ground near Evelyn who also remained conscious. She yelled Evan's name but received no reply, and when she saw his lifeless body a few feet, then she saw his lifeless body a few feet away. Unaware of her own injuries, she tried to pick up her boys, but her right ankle collapsed. Then she noticed blood dripping from Evan's mouth as she struggled to lift his limp body. At that moment, I felt he had left me, she said solemnly. Winnie pleaded for help from the panicked crowd fleeing the site of the explosion and a man came to her aid along with the security guard he had summoned for help. After the two men carried the boys to the man's car he rushed them to the hospital. Winnie unable to walk collapsed in front of the church gate before another church member drove her to the hospital. Three miles west of St. Mary Immaculate, a woman with her two daughters, ages 9 and 12, climbed out of the back of a black Toyota minivan with tinted windows in front of a Protestant church. All three were wearing tan um, uh, niqabs veils worn by some Muslim women that reveal only their eyes watching the woman and two girls in tan veils walk calmly toward the indonesia christian church a security guard sensed something was not right as he yelled at them and rushed to stop them from entering the building a woman who was holding a conspicuous bag hastened her pace toward the church then she detonated the bombs killing herself and her two daughters the bombs weren't powerful enough to kill anyone nearby and even the security guard, who was just inches from the explosion, survived the blast. Shortly after the woman and two girls killed themselves in front of the Indonesia Christian Church, the black minivan that had dropped them off approached another church located two miles northwest. Fini uh, Fini Suriati was standing at the bottom of a staircase near the main entrance uh, to the Surabaya Central Pentecostal Church, when the black minivan rammed the church's gate, striking two parking attendants. Five bombs inside the vehicle erupted into a ball of fire, igniting the gas tanks of five cars and 30 motorcycles parked nearby. The initial blast killed two people, and the ensuing flames quickly enveloped the front of the church building, along with Finney, who was on her way to pick up her 8-year-old daughter, Clarissa, from Sunday school. She estimated that she was about 10 feet away from the minivan when it exploded. I felt heat all over my body, Finney said haltingly, as she recounted the horror of the blast. I was asking the people for help. The flame scorched 85% of Finney's body, including most of her face she said she'll never forget the feeling of the water flowing down her smoldering skin as other church members tried to quench the flames burning her flesh it helped she said with a grateful smile i felt the coal and also caught some water in my mouth the bombs that struck Suri- surabaya central pentecostal church killed 10 people some of whom succumbed to their injuries later and injured several more. According to an Indonesian national police, they were a type known as Mother of Satan, the explosives of choice for the self-proclaimed Islamic State, or ISIS. While the third bombing was the most powerful and destructive of those carried out that morning, the carnage could have been even much worse. A bomb disposal unit later discovered and diffused two additional explosives near the church. As flames consumed the church entrance, Pastor Jonathan Biantoro uh, led uh, 1,300 worshipers inside the building toward the back door. I heard a big explosion, but I thought the fire was electrical, he said. I saw the fire coming inside, but I could not see anything because of the black smoke. After police told Pastor Jonathan that the church had been attacked and people had been injured, he helped organize transportation to area hospitals for those still waiting for an ambulance. Finney was moved to an evacuation area where she was reunited with her daughter, Clarissa, her husband, Ari, and her mother-in-law. At the time of the blast, Erie was inside the church, and Clarissa was standing near the top of the stairs on the second floor. She suffered burns to her forehead, stomach, and hands, and her mouth was bleeding from a shrapnel wound. I was not near the fire, but when I was walking, it hurt so bad, Clarissa said. I felt heat on my skin. I didn't have water, so I was just running, and my grandma splashed water on my face. I was feeling so scared and so worried about my mom, Finney broke down in tears when she saw Clarissa's injuries. A church member helped Finney and Clarissa into the back of his car and sped toward the hospital, not knowing whether Finney would survive. In the immediate aftermath of the bombing at St. Mary Immaculate, the only pain Winnie had noticed was near her right ankle, where shrapnel had sliced through a tendon. But hospital staff later discovered that she had several additional injuries, including broken ribs and deep cuts on her face. I tried to endure the pain when I was at the church because my kids were the priority, she said. The emotional pain and anguish she felt for them was far worse than her own physical pain. All she wanted to do was hold her sons. Although Evan was already dead, she longed to see his body Once inside the hospital, Winnie saw Nathan lying two beds away with his legs propped up, but hospital staff soon closed the curtain around him. While waiting in the operating room for emergency surgery to remove shrapnel from her ankle, Winnie overheard a nurse say the boy in the next room needed a leg amputation to save his life. Shrapnel had ruptured the femoral artery in Nathan's leg, causing heavy bleeding. And as anesthesia flowed into my blood, they gave me time to pray, Winnie said tearfully. I prayed that God would give the best for my son because I could do nothing. Winnie regained consciousness several hours later following a successful surgery and told her family members to stay with Nathan. She could rest by herself, she told them, but she he shouldn't be left alone. The next day, doctors told Winnie that Nathan had died. His body has shut down after extensive blood loss. Nathan liked to run when he said. Maybe when he realized he would lose his leg, he lost his hope. Nathan always told Evan he would go anywhere his brother goes. During Finney's 20-minute ride to the hospital, her senses and emotions caught up with her physical condition. I did not feel heat anymore, but I smelled burning flesh, she remembered. At that moment, I just thought about my daughter and what had happened to her, why her body was injured like that. At the hospital, doctors placed Finny in a tub of warm water to stop the burning and stitched up the open wounds above her eyes and on her upper lip. They then took her to surgery to remove shrapnel embedded in various parts of her body. One piece of steel pierced my left side, she said, pointing to the spot. Thank God it did not hit my lungs. Doctors spent hours dressing her burns. At that moment, I started to feel the heat again. The pain came back, too. Over time, finished skin hardened. Every four days, she was given anesthesia so doctors could slowly peel away the dead skin. She underwent that procedure 21 times. Doctors could not perform skin grafts because she didn't have enough healthy skin left. During Finney's three months at the hospital, Pastor Jonathan and members of her church visited her in intensive care regularly to encourage and pray for her. Finney was crushed when she realized she wouldn't be able to return to work as an administrator for a construction company. "'I have been working there since 2008,' she said. "'After the bomb, I also had depression "'because I thought with my condition "'I could not do anything.' "'After her release from the hospital, "'Finney received physical therapy twice a week "'for several months to regain strength in her hands. "'Her healing has progressed slowly and painfully. "'Persecution is uncomfortable, but what can I do?' "'she says. "'Now I must go on with what has happened.' Today, Finney's mobility remains limited by the tenderness of her cracked, purplish skin. The tops of her feet are scarred with the pattern of the sandal she was wearing the morning of the bombing, a constant reminder of the horrible day and everything it cost her. Finney said she has learned to love the scarred face that stares back at her from the mirror, but it has taken time. She admits it was difficult to overcome the initial shock and shame of her disfigurement. She still works to overcome the fear and anxiety that confront her every time she leaves home, but she said she has chosen to forgive those responsible for her current condition. I am not a woman who keeps the anger, she said softly but confidently. I am a woman who likes to surrender all to God and let him arrange all for me. Finney has surrendered more than the events of May 13, 2018. She has had to relinquish control in every aspect of her life. She relies on others, mainly her husband, Erie, to help her get through each day. She requires help bathing and dressing each day, and she has, is resigned to wearing loose-fitting gowns that don't cling to her fragile skin. The most difficult part of her new life, Finney said, is the necessity of avoiding physical contact. Clarissa's hugs are now too much to bear. It's so sad, she said, emphasizing each word with a nod of her head as her eyes fill with tears. Clarissa, now a fifth grader, is nearly pain-free. She wants to be a doctor when she grows up so she can help suffering, help the suffering like her mother, whom she prays for daily. Amen. So that's them. Uh, He, she, and her. Well, she's on the cover. And then she and her daughter, and I'm gonna pass this around cause you can see the tattoo scars of the sandals she was wearing on her feet that day. Amen. Okay. Now, Winnie still takes pain medication every day. She also receives physical therapy three times a week to restore strength and mobility in her right leg, right hand, right arm, and shoulders. Sometimes my fingers move uncontrollably, she said, raising her right hand through prayer, she works to overcome the worst pain of all, losing her two sons. When they were still alive and I had problems, my heart was comforted by the sound of them playing and the sound of their voice, she said, but now that is gone. When he said her husband struggles to overcome the guilt he feels for not being there when his sons died, even though it would have cost him his own life. It is different for me because I only cry when I miss them, when he said, but my husband is crying always a week after nathan died when he spoke with her pastors about how to truly forgive those who had taken her sons she has found healing in sharing her story and said talking about it helps her make sense of it some churches and groups invite me to share my testimony with them she said smiling and i am happy to do that to be a blessing Winnie remembers Evan as a quiet boy who showed his love for others through his actions. Nathan, who was more outgoing, was a cheerful boy who was always ready to stand up for his many friends. The boys loved to shoot their Nerf guns and play games with their cousin, Evelyn. Evelyn, now 12 years old, has lived with Winnie and Aerie since she was six. She suffered a broken right wrist in the bombing as well as severed nerves and three fingers on her right hand. As a result of her injury, she has had to learn how to write with her left hand. She has also undergone three surgeries to remove shrapnel from her legs and feet. Both feet still have shrapnel, and so does her thigh, Winnie said, as Evelyn sat quietly nearby, the doctors thinking twice about taking shrapnel from her thigh because it could leave her paralyzed. Evelyn becomes more talkative and confident when she shares memories of playing with her cousins, but when she does, she has to try hard not to cry. I miss them, she says, wiping away tears. Days after the attack, small group leaders at Surabaya Central Pentecostal Church contacted their group members and told them to spread the word. The church will gather on Sunday. I want to encourage the congregation to not leave because this happened, Pastor Jonathan said. We also wanted to show that we love God. And when we love God, the less afraid we are of persecution happening in our life. We must still love God. Local police and members of Indonesia's military guarded churches throughout Surabaya on the Sunday following the attacks to Christians so Christians could worship without fear. At Surabaya Central Pentecostal, police also blocked roads surrounding the church for added protection. Staff and volunteers set up large tents in the church's parking lots and more than a 1,000 people attended the church's two services at 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. Although attendance that first Sunday following the bombing was a fraction of the 5,000 who normally attended the church's four Sunday services, the community was inspired by the believer's courage and faithfulness. Pastor Jonathan said many of the church's Muslim neighbors stood outside their homes to witness the Christians worshiping the God of the Bible. Our Muslim neighbors said when Christians get a problem like this, they are not afraid they are still faithful to god pastor jonathan said one of the men who takes care of our parking said i'm surprised by the church after they are bombed the church is stronger god is still good pastor jonathan said smiling maybe we don't understand but i'm sure god is still good and that's important his will is perfect for us don't get angry toward god god is still good the pastor's first message after the bombings focused on Romans 8:28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He also stressed the importance of unity, faithfulness, and forgiveness in the face of persecution. We must pray for each other, he said. We must remain unified, and we must encourage others. The main point is that we forgive the people who did what happened. We pray for others like them, that God can give them grace to repent. Pastor Jonathan requested prayer for the healing of his church, especially for those who experienced trauma. He also asked us to pray that his congregation will continue to be used for God's glory. The parts of the church building damaged in the blast have been repaired and a larger, stronger security gate and new protective barrier have been installed in the building's entrance. The church continues to gather for worship and love Muslims in its neighborhood. And Pastor Jonathan said he doesn't fear another attack. The Great Commission is our task, he said. We must share the gospel to other people so they can be saved too. According to the Indonesia National Police, the May 13, 2018 suicide bombings marked the first terrorist attacks in Indonesia's history carried out by an entire family, including children. They were members of JAMA uh, JAD. For short, a local branch of ISIS that in 2016 had bombed a church in another town in Indonesia. Authorities said the parents in this family who had recently t- returned from Syria were among the hundreds of other Indonesians who traveled to Iraq or Syria in 2017 to join ISIS. Indonesia's National Agency for Combating Terrorism had added their names to a federal terror watch list, but the family's preparations for the attacks had gone undetected. The deaths at the three churches weren't the only ones caused by jad that day at nine pm three members of a Muslim family of six were were killed when a bomb detonated prematurely in their apartment they had reportedly planned to attack additional churches and the following morning another bomb exploded at Surabaya police headquarters according to four police officers and killing four members of a Muslim family of five the surviving family member was an eight-year-old girl. In all, 28 people, including 13 suicide bombers, died and 57 more were injured in the sophisticated attacks, making them Indonesia's most deadly since the 2002 bombings in Bali. Authorities said ISIS ordered the 2018 attacks as revenge or the imprisonment of Jad's leader who was prosecuted for his role in attacks carried out in Jakarta two years earlier. While authorities have discovered the apparent motives for the attacks, the bombing victims continue to ask, why us? Pastor Jonathan struggles to understand why his church was targeted when they have intentionally worked to show their love for the neighboring Muslim community. Church members give food to impoverished Muslims following Ramadan and the church also operates a medical clinic where patients, including Muslims, receive care for a small fee or even at no charge. I didn't have any anger, Pastor Jonathan said, but in my heart I have a question. Why did we, why did we do wrong, what did we do wrong to them? We do good things to them, so why did they attack us? On a deeper level, the pastor knows persecution is part of following Christ, and from that perspective, he knows they must be doing something right. Spiritually, this may be our next step, I told the church. God can use your life in a new way now. The Voice of Martyrs continues to help pay medical expenses for Winnie and Finney as well as others affected by the bombings after losing her two sons Winnie said she has struggled to regain her sense of purpose and she still carries a lot of emotional pain when i see the photos of my son i always ask in my heart why did this happen to my son she said the time has gone by too fast for me it is like one day i give birth to them and the next, next day i lost them Why is still a big question for me, she continued. Even though some people told me it's part of God's plan for me, I'm still searching for the answer to why. By accepting invitations from the churches to share my story, I hope I can get the answer to this. During her own healing process, Finney said she has moved from asking why me to asking why am I still alive. One physician told her, Uh, He had never treated someone who survived burns as severe as hers. Today, Phineas finding the courage to step out in public more often. When she senses people staring at her scars, she quietly asks God a new question. How can I be used in this situation? When people ask her about her burns, she eagerly tells them about Christ. She wants him to use her story and her pain for the advancement of his kingdom. The first question I had in my heart has disappeared because some people have come to me and said that I will be a blessing. Finney said, smiling confidently, it is God's plan for me. Amen? Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Here's a story about, uh, these are updates on some past stories. This is a pastor, Indonesian pastor, who was granted early release. Pastor Abraham Ben Moses was released from an Indonesian prison in April after serving more than two years of a four-year sentence on a blasphemy conviction. Pastor Abraham was arrested in December 2017 after a video of him teaching the differences between the Bible and the Koran was released on YouTube. Born into a large Muslim family, Abraham's father and father-in-law were both Islamic teachers while his uncle founded a prominent Muslim organization. After graduating with a degree in comparative religion, Abraham began teaching at Indonesia's largest Islamic boarding school whose mosque accommodates 15,000 people. In 2005, he began studying the Bible to disprove the Christian faith, but instead he became convinced that the Bible is the truth and publicly became a Christian on March 4, 2006. Since then, he has been active in debates and online discussing the differences between Christianity and Islam. Soon after becoming a Christian, Pastor Abraham began preaching and evangelizing, writing five books covering everything from his conversion to the differences between Christianity and Islam. The books which were re- which were viewed as condemning the Muslim faith were later used as evidence against him in court. Following Pastor Abraham's arrest, authorities held him at the police station for two months trying to persuade him to return to Islam, but he remained faithful to Christ. However, it instead led 18 Muslims to Christ while in jail. He was then transferred to a prison where he faced persecution from inmates who knew of his blasphemy conviction. Later, he was moved to a different prison and was able to lead 60 Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ. Following his unexpected release, Pastor Abraham said he plans to continue his ministry to Muslims and build a network for, for evangelism in Indonesia. He also hopes to start a school for missions on the island of Borneo outside of Indonesia's borders. So the gospel is not bound, huh? Bet they won't lock him up again. <laughs> Amen. 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 On February 13th, two Indonesian men were arrested on blasphemy charges after distributing Christian literature. The morning of the arrest, Andreas Sarno, 80, and Bintang Syriat, 73, left their homes at about 7 a.m. as usual and spent a few hours distributing Christian booklets and sharing the gospel. At one point, they stopped at a coffee cart where they gave a booklet to the woman operating the cart. When the woman's son later showed the booklet to some Muslim friends, they became enraged at its contents, which include the testimony of a Muslim man who had come to Christ. Sometime later, the group of young Islamists approached the two Christian men and began to beat Andreas. When the police arrived, they took Andreas and Bintang into custody to question them about their activities. The men were detained for two days before formally being arrested. Then in March 2019, they were convicted of blasphemy and sentenced to eight months in prison. Andreas said he wishes he would have received a longer sentence so he would have more time to share the gospel with the 1,200 inmates in prison. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Praise God. All right. (laughs) In Eritrea, authorities arrest hundreds of believers. The Eritrean government increased its pressure on Christians in June, arresting about 500 in multiple raids, according to Voice of the Martyr contact. In one raid on an underground church, authorities arrested 45 believers, including children, pregnant women, and elderly people. They were taken to our... Agoradot, a notoriously hot place, they said. People in the area are under fear. Let's pray, please. One reason for the crackdown, according to Voice of the Martyr contact, is that many young people left the country following recent unrest. The government also shut down all Catholic hospitals, posting soldiers outside some facilities ordering patients to leave and threatening staff. In May, the government arrested almost 200 Christians prior to the country's Independence Day on May 24th. More than 140 were arrested at a private gathering in Esmara, including 14 children. And the next week, another 30 were arrested while attending prayer meetings in different parts of the city. About 50 are still being held without charge. Officials apparently are concerned about possible protests, such as those in neighboring Sudan, that led to the removal of the country's former president, Omar al-Bashir prisoners who have experienced torture in eritrean prisons have described being hung in full sun for days at a time in places where temperatures reach 120 degrees they were hung from a stick with their hands and feet bound for hours at a time severely beaten and told to deny jesus and denied medical care so there need prayer in eritrea amen um, oh this one's about romania the Fallen Iron Curtain uh, Voice of the Martyr is there to help liberate Romania. says the world was taken by surprise on November ninth nineteen eighty eight with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Communism had already begun to lose its stronghold in the Eastern Bloc. And the wall's destruction was powerfully symbolic of anti-communist revolutions that were sweeping Central and Eastern Europe, the Iron Curtain countries. In Romania, the revolution came to a violent climax on Christmas Day, 1989, when the country's dictator, uh, Nikolai Ceausescu, and his wife Elena were hastily tried and convicted of genocide before being summarily executed. I sat in my living room in Australia watching these events unfold in my television. What was happening seemed almost unbelievable, and I was convinced that the mission should do something to show solidarity with our Romanian Christian family. This was the country from which Richard and Sabina Wormbrand had escaped. God has sent them from Romania to be the voice in the West for the persecuted. Now perhaps we could go there openly and share our love with our brothers and sisters. A voice of the martyr colleague from Germany invited me to travel to Romania with him, and a voice of the martyr colleague from Switzerland in February 1990. We would buy a van loaded with items to help churches emerging from totalitarian control and drive it from uh, Germany to Bucharest, Romania, where we would meet with contacts and friends of the Wormbrand family to deliver the goods. We would then leave the vehicle with them for their ministry and depart the country by air. When I arrived in Germany, my colleagues had already filled the van with food, clothing, books, and Sunday school materials, so we jammed our own small bags into the remaining space and headed for Romania. As we crossed into Hungary, customs officials inspected our vehicle, but they didn't give us any trouble when they understood we were taking aid to Romania. We traveled on to the Hungarian city of Budapest, where we met Christians we had worked with as contacts during the Cold War. We could tell from their guarded looks and conversation that they were still uneasy with the idea of liberty and of openly meeting with strangers from the West to talk about matters related to witnessing for Christ. We continued our journey the next morning after breakfast, facing a slight delay at the Romanian border that afternoon while officials thoroughly checked our car eventually we were signaled through as the romanian sky darkened we headed for the city of cluj napoa where we had a hotel reservation for the night everything was in short supply including electricity nowhere could we see a light no street lights house lights or neon signs just blackness everywhere a possible representation of the country's spiritual condition as well as we stared into the night, we suddenly became aware of multi-story buildings lining each side of the road. When we looked more closely, we could see dim lights here and there in some of the windows. In fact, we had arrived in Cluj, but we could almost have driven through it and missed it entirely. We later learned the electricity was so limited throughout the country that residents were allowed only one light, no stronger than 40 watts. We wondered how we could find our hotel in all the darkness. When we came to an intersection, we stopped beside a car and called out the name of the hotel to the driver. Understanding what we needed, he shouted, follow me. We had to trust him as he rushed off into the darkness. After a short distance, he waved his hand, pointed, and zoomed off. We looked where he had pointed, and there was our hotel after a meager breakfast the next morning, we again took our places in the van, consulted our map, and set the course for the day, eventually re- reaching our destination of Bucharest. Most of the roads in Romania had not been maintained, so it was a rough ride. About halfway to Bucharest that day, we drove through a city of P- uh, uh, Petesti, the site of one of Romania's feared prisons which Richard Wormbrand had written and spoken about the prison. Many of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ who were incarcerated in this dreadful place were never seen again alive. As we drove into Bucharest, we had the sad effects of more than 40 years of communism were apparent everywhere. Buildings showed signs of disrepair where maintenance had been neglected, Many churches had been demolished. Ceaușescu did not want to see a cross anywhere, especially in the vicinity of his new palace. The palace was a huge, sumptuous building at the time, said to be the world's largest building apart from the Pentagon. Ceaușescu and his wife were executed before sleeping even one night in it. After finding our way to our hotel, we began to look for some of the people we had worked with secretly for 20 years. We walked through blocks of dingy buildings to meet our Romanian Christian friends in small, overcrowded apartments. Tears flowed as we prayed with them, gave them some of the goods we had brought, and promised to stand with them and help them in the days ahead. The days passed quickly, but still, but we still had several sets of uh, flag and graph Bible story, stories that we needed to give to just the right person before we left the country. During our last meeting with a brother named Constantine, a friend of Richard, Richard Wormbrand who like Richard had been in prison for his Christian witness, we met a young woman who told us she was a Sunday school teacher in her church. When she opened her bag and pulled out simple visual aids that she had made with the help of teach made to help teach Bible stories to the children. We, know, we, we knew we had found the right person for the flannel graphs. She cried joyfully when we gave them to her, having never seen or heard of such wonderful aids to teach the Bible as we boarded the plane to return home we carried precious memories as well as new thoughts and ideas with us i was encouraged to know that despite all of the hardship deprivation and adversity they had faced christians in romania had survived a very dark period and now had new hope for the future There was much work to be done before the believers and churches would find their way amid their new freedom, but we would not abandon them. So that's the voice of the martyrs for this month. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. It's interesting how uh, freely people in this country talk about the joys of communism, even when there's... uh, Evidence all around us that it's not a good system and it doesn't work and all of the above. And so that's one of the deceptions that we have to fight in this nation. You know, we, there's a lot of deception around where people are calling good evil and evil good. They're calling truth a lie and a lie the truth. And so that's a big devil that we've got to fight that, you know, to to pull down deception wherever it is and allow God to bring truth, uh, to bring light, to bring hope, to bring deliverance, uh, to bring all of the things that people need so that they can live the life that God intended for them to live. He did not give us dominion over each other. Amen. There is no person that's allowed to control another person to limit your freedom, to put you in bondage in any kind of way. So we're going to pray that God's people would know freedom in a real way and that all of these needs that we are looking at here uh, would be dealt with and, and and we would get some good reports out of these prayers that we're praying. So I believe God and I know you believe God too. And so we're just going to put our faith for it and just trust God to do uh, what He wants to do for these persecuted believers. Father in heaven we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We worship you Lord and magnify you. Lord we lift you up. You're worthy to be praised hallelujah glory to god glory to god glory to god in the highest thank you lord we bless you we praise you lord we ask you to forgive our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness lord we thank you for the righteousness that is of christ jesus So we put on that righteousness, Father. This is not something that we create. This is not something that we are trying to invent. We are not trying to be good. But we thank you for your goodness resting upon us when we confess and we believe that you have uh, washed all of our sins away, and that, that we are free to receive freely from your hand because of the righteousness that is Christ Jesus. So we thank you for that blessing, Lord. We thank you for that grace that allows us to come boldly to your throne knowing that we can find mercy knowing that we can find grace knowing that these prayers will be answered knowing that you hear us and you answer everything knowing that we can pray your will lord knowing that you will reveal secrets to us father knowing that we will have all the information that we need to walk this walk successfully and to have the uh, the uh, mercy in our lives that we need so that we can have everything given to us freely by your hand. And so, Father, we pray for these persecuted people. We pray for these people in these stories that we have just read. We pray also uh, for the church in Egypt for this woman who had to run away from her home from a father and brother planning to kill her for the christians that suffer in eritrea under worsening conditions we command those conditions to improve according to your will and your word i thank you father in laos we pray for um uh the the um growth of christianity that it would increase that um Nepal and Nepal father that there are more mature Christians who are living the Christian life as a witness in Sri Lanka thank you father for the people who are villagers that they would um, reverse these assaults on Christians thank you Lord for a Cameroon where the people are are making sacrifices willingly we pray for Indonesia uh, where the two men are being released from prison we thank you for that and we thank you for the young Christian woman in um, in um, india and for her family, the woman who was killed by some neighbors. We pray for her family. We pray that they forgive, and we pray for their recovery. We pray for Iran, for the three Christian converts who were sentenced to prison, that they would be released speedily. We pray for in India, where this pastor was beheaded, we pray for that that uh, family, and we pray, Father, for healing for that village. We pray for the people in Vietnam, that they would receive more audio bibles thank you lord for the ones that have been given we thank you for more and we thank you lord for the new converts in egypt that that hunger they have for christ would be filled in jesus name so we thank you father that we submit to you resist the devil and you and devil you must flee we command you devil to flee from us seven ways vengeance belongs to you O god we resist retaliation from our accusers we are serving you so why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold, they're threatening. Stretch forth your hand to heal, O God do signs and wonders in the name of jesus i declare that the way of the ungodly will perish let them fall by their own counsels lord i thank you to judge the people judge me O lord according to my integrity that's in me let the mischief of those who persecute me return upon their own heads keep us at the apple of the eye and hide us under the shadow of thy wings thank you lord for teaching my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in my arms thank you that you have given me the necks of my enemies shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against me cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth stop the pointing of the finger against your servant stop those who point the finger against me without a cause and who hate me it is time for you to work O oh lord they have made void your law lord you know it's nothing for us to help we know it's nothing for you to help Help us, O Lord our God, or save me according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one therefore my persecutors shall stumble they shall not prevail they shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten and we thank you for that we thank you lord and we remember that those who live godly will suffer persecution but we thank you father that you deliver us from all our fears you deliver us from all our strong enemies you deliver us father from all temptation and all foes and we thank you for deliverance for your people today we thank you for freedom for your people today we thank you for divine protection for your people today and we bless you lord and we thank you for it in jesus name amen and praise god